0: Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 40. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, slash 40. I'm John Polstro.
1: And I'm Greg Monti. Well, why don't you take me through, I mean, you know, you were looking for stuff on the internet, looking for reviews, critiques, comments on not a fan. You found this. What synced you into this? What got you reading and kept you reading? What are some of the points that really initially jumped out at you?
0: Well, like some of the quotes, like on, well, it's page three for me, where he's quoting uh, Chan, Francis Chan caught the wave. So he's talking about these different books and and how they caught on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So quoting from the article, more recently, Kyle Edelman, teaching pastor at Southeastern Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, wrote not a fan after realizing he had made following Jesus, quote, as appealing, comfortable and convenient as possible. Francis Chan caught the wave with Crazy Love, a book that tries to affirm our desire for, quote, more God, even if we are surrounded by people who have, quote, enough God. Mm. That just makes me barf. Just the, <laughs> the just this notion it it comes I think the initial trigger for that is this this more versus enough. It's the same kind of dichotomy of fan or follower you know d- d- this whole notion of have you are you committed enough are you in enough are you in deep enough mm-hmm. um so that kind of dropped, that kind of jumped out at me. And the other part about that that just burns me is these guys all get to decide what enough is based on uh, their yeah. mediocre, in my opinion, amateur use of scripture and justification for their position. But of course they're popular. Their books have sold a lot of copies. They, lots of people come to their church. So of course they're right. And someone like me is not. I, I hear you. <laughs> This, I thought, was really poignant. So, he's going on a... There aren't any really sections. This, this article is like, what, 3,000 words? Uh, yeah, it was like 3,500, something like that. So, and, okay, so under the section, Radical Christianity's Favorite Word, I, I thought this was interesting.
1: Mm.
0: Their favorite word is really. Mm-hmm. And he goes on, and, and, and this kind of pulled me in. It was kind of resonated with my feelings about not a fan is you know quote Eidelman talks about says he's going to tell us what it really means to follow Jesus so he talks about this notion of modifiers <laughs> and and modifiers being words that place additional emphasis on other words and in this case it's the word really
1: well it's interesting like i thought that was a that was really that was a very good point that i hadn't quite picked on quite a quite as clearly you know that there it, it, later on um, what is for me, I guess, um, is it two pages or three pages on? It's a good couple of pages. When he's talking about, you know, a couple of generations ago, or maybe even a generation ago, it was about trust and believe. And if you look at these guys, they're almost saying, you know, really trust and really obey. And I mean, were you coming into what he was talking about,
0: about the, the part about using our will. So he talks about, yeah, the, so the intensifiers that he also calls out are, you know, these teachers quote, these teachers want us to see that following Jesus genuinely, truly, really radically, sacrificially, inconveniently, and uncomfortably will cost us. Mm-hmm. And then later on, he says, you know, replacing belief with commitment still places the burden of our, of our formation on the sheer force of our will. And I put like three major stars next to that because that is the thing i think is missing behind a ton of this stuff which is how do we even get to belief there's just an assumption i think there's all these unspoken assumptions you know the first assumption is that the bible is true and tells us exactly everything we need to do Mm -hmm. and two we can just simply pull verses anywhere and as long as they say something that we should do and we can interpret them as commandments we should do them
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and the only way to be, quote, radical for God and to be all in is to literally do all these things that we read that we're supposed to do. Right, and and the very notion that radical is the only way to be. Yes, yes, and the part that continues to make me mad is these guys decide what's radical and what's not. Like, like they kind of do, but they kind of don't. They can. they, that's the other interesting part that I underlined was this notion that they've kind of defined all the ways that are not good enough, but they haven't told us what is <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so much easier to sow doubt about like, are you really doing enough than to say, well, these are the things that if you were doing them, they would be enough. Yeah. Not that I would want any of these guys telling me what good enough is anyway. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and you know, I think the thing that I found <clears throat> um, particularly limiting was that I, I think we've we've read Kyle Edelman very, very, very well. You know, I'm really pleased with uh, the sense of what he's saying that we've acquired through our very close podcasting chapter by chapter. But I really wish I would have read at least one more of these writers, particularly either uh, Platt, who seems to be really big. Um, or not Claiborne, but the other fellow, Chan, Chan. Well, either Platt or Chan, I think, would have been a really, really great compliment. So that that I I would have found that helpful. But
0: yeah, if there's any way to summarize this article, I'm not even sure there. I'm not even sure I can. Um, well, go ahead. <laughs> well, I I like. I mean,
1: you're hitting. You're seeing that he's picking up on the stuff that we've found difficult this you know genuinely truly really radically sacrificially inconveniently and uncomfortably it's going to cost you and this whole part about the will and you know i also yeah one actually he's got a sentence and it's it's interesting to me when people repeat the same sentence in their writing and this guy matthew lee anderson is currently working through his MPhil at oxford and as far as i understand it the the m Phil Can either stand alone or um like it could stand alone, but not really. It's it's really you're you're working through your PhD and you're at the MPhil stage of it. So he's what would be considered almost like a PhD candidate in North America. So he's a scholarly guy. He's a scholar, or looking to be one, uh, and this is a scholarly approach. And it's it's funny that one sentence he's repeated in here, and it's near the beginning, and it's just into the Radical Christianity's Favorite Word subsection, he writes, it's really hard to read these books one after another and confidently declare yourself a Christian at the end.
0: Oh, I underlined that. I totally yeah. did. Yeah,
1: And I just thought, like, he's, so he's, I think he's got, like, a general, a pretty good general sense of the books. I, I had, and again, this is where my thought about, gee, if I'd only read One of say Platt or Chan. I I really wish I would have. And I I'm thinking about getting one of those books.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I bought Chan off of eBay for four dollars. (laughs) So. Oh nice. Have you started it yet? (laughs) It hasn't even come. Oh. And I almost ordered Platt, and then I just thought, how much time do I want to spend reading this stuff versus? (laughs) I mean, that's the tension that I that I find as we're doing this. I don't. I don't want to be you know the two guys from the Muppet Show that are just you know. (laughs) (laughs) Criticizing, (laughs) you know, the Christian curmudgeons that you know are just here to just kind of disparage everything. I really do want to get to some some type of hopeful message, some type of this is how it really is, and this is how it really can work. Not that there is exactly one way, which I which I also feel like is very is a prominent theme with these three with this whole radical notion is that there really is only quote one way to God. And I know to say that there's multiple ways to God. People are probably having heart attacks all over the world hearing that. I don't believe that there are like, that all religions get you to heaven and and all that. I'm not saying that, but I do think there's something. I don't think that being radical is the only way to know God. It, I I'm open to the fact that it, that it can be a way and that it that it has been a path for some people, but I feel like these books say that it is the only way.
1: Yeah, I would agree. That's,
0: uh, there's a little bit more to what's, there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, But back to what we were saying about uh, replacing belief with commitment, there was one part, a couple sentences down that I didn't read that I want to pull out too. It says there's almost no explicit consideration of how belief actually takes root or whether that process is as conscious as we presume Mm-hmm. which is a big deal for me you know yeah. i i'm still i'm still trying to untangle the whole belief stage and right. i feel like so much of my christian experience in college was you got the belief state because you said the prayer and now you're going to heaven and so that now you got that squared away now you got to like go out on the, all the world and make disciples and fulfill the great commission because if you don't you're sinning because it's in the bible
1: Yes, yes, yes. And then we've got this part in this paper or this article, just a few paragraphs up, where he's talking about how, um, he writes, last year, Pl- Platt made waves by calling the sinner's prayer superstitious. You know, and, and he's, remember that section where he, yeah. I'm quoting Platt, or he's quoting Platt, uh, Matthew Lee Anderson's quoting Platt. I can remember lying in my bed at night as a child slash teenager wondering about whether or not i'm really saved and then thinking well i just need to pray the prayer again and really mean it this time and then i'll know i'm saved (laughs) and he writes and he said quote he's quoting um platt again i don't want people to look to a prayer they prayed for assurance of salvation i want them to look to christ for this assurance of salvation is always based on his work not ours
0: what about experience Oh, man. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I guess I had a number of thoughts about this. And and the first was this idea of belief needs to be expanded because there's more than just like belief or not belief. There's, there's like, do you believe in God? Yes. Well, well, what's the content of the belief? What what do you – if you were to, you know, tell me about this God that you believe in, what would, what would that look like to you? And then there's this question of, so you believe in God and you believe these – number of things about god what kind of purchase do those things have in your life what does that mean in terms of how you live or what you do or don't do think or don't think on a daily basis and i think all, that whole gamut uh, that's whole scope needs to be taken into consideration when he's talking about you know how beliefs take root or whether the process is as conscious as we presume You know, but the whole thing with, with, with Platt here and being like worried about the prayer and I don't feel it. And I think for me, part of the issue, what I wrote is, well, here, let me just, let me just come back to this. In the article, he writes the part that I just quoted about Platt and the sinner's prayer. And then he, just before he makes that comment that you like, and you, you noted, you know, about no consideration of how beliefs take root. He writes the last sentence of the paragraph above that. He says the inflated rhetoric, this kind of use of intensifiers, you know, like really, truly, genuinely, deeply. The reliance, he says that I'll just read the whole paragraph. The reliance on intensifiers demonstrates the emptiness of America's Christian, of American Christianity's language. Previous generations would be singing, we're content singing, trust and obey, for there's no other way. Today, we have to really trust and truly obey. And this is the part that I thought is interesting, but I think he's off base. And I think this is where it ties back into your point about experience. Uh, Matthew Leanderson writes this, The inflated rhetoric, so this use of intensifiers, is a sign of how divorced our church's vocabulary is from the simple language of Scripture. And he think, he's, he's sort of telling us, you know, you got the language there. Why don't you just use it? Just be sort of more scriptural. Which would go,
0: response, would, yeah, that would go back to. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, go, go for it. <laughs> no, but this the simple as if the if as if the language of scripture is simple. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: I, and I I do think there are, there are some things that are that are s- simple about it. But no, I mean, you're right. You're reading an ancient document addressed to an ancient audience. There's a process of uh, you know exegesis and translation that has to take place, um, a number of a number of those processes. Right. So yeah, it's it's not easy. But uh, you know, in, in, when he says you know the use of intensifiers is just shows how distant we are, how far we remove we are from the 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 quote simple language of Scripture. I read no, it's a sign of a, a problem to do with uh, our experience or more so our lack of experience. And what we've been conditioned to believe about experience. On the one hand, we've been told repeatedly to see through the eyes of faith and not sense. And there I'm quoting Bridges, you know, with that classic work that he wrote, classic book, A Trusting God. And he writes, you know, when you're in adverse situations, you have to see those adverse situations through the eyes of faith and not of sense. And I would, I would completely disagree. Um, you, know, you, you need to look both ways. Um, but also you know for a love relationship and this is the point for me that's really crucial for a love relationship to have a sufficient degree of purchase so when I was talking before about you know there's belief there's the con, like do you believe in God generally yes I do well and what's the content of that belief what does that God sort of look like spell that out for me and then there's the purchase of that like what sort of impact does that have on you the problem that I see is that we are dealing with a love relationship and for a love relationship to have a sufficient degree of purchase so that it's real and vibrant, we need to have real, tangible, sensual experiences of that love, of God's love. And what I hear when I read some of these things about, you know, really, truly, etc., and this is a comment that I had again and again for Kyle Eidelman, is the whole piece about love and what that means just does not seem to be resonating. It does not seem to have, have really grabbed hold of, of at least him in his writing. And I would have thought that if he's trying to convince us about what it means to truly be a follower, that the, the, the quality and the, the reality of that love would be really prominent. So I was very surprised, you know, but that for me is what's absent. And that's what, like, it's not that we've lost touch with the language of scripture. It's that we're trying to, fake it through a relationship that ain't cutting it
0: for us well yeah this well, and what i wrote next to this is i said it's not just the language but the whole notion of the question i have here is why do christians have to be moved and manipulated into action
1: mm-hmm. if god
0: is not like i wrote if god is not in their hearts and i don't want to that's a great each, each person has to decide how if god's in their heart or not and i feel like That's another part that just burns me is I feel like these guys get to decide, you know, how much God is in your heart or in your life or not. The notion that I I hear in other things that I'm reading and writing is when God's really in your heart and really in your life and when you really feel his love and when you love him, you naturally do these things. Yes. It's back. So this is kind of backwards. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why... Well, I I mean, I guess the counter to this would be, well, people need to be manipulated and moved into action because they're so, you know, they've been so put to sleep by the comfortableness of uh, the middle class lifestyle and and how easy we have it today. You see, I. I, Which is also an undertone of this article, I think.
1: Yes. Yes but but i and i, I would disagree again because i don't think that's what's going on i think what what we have here is we have a lack of purchase we have not people who don't believe he's not talking about you know non-christians and he's not talking about people who are you know have a really confused belief system he's not talking about people who you know would have bought into jim jones's church um i told you about listening to a i, I listened to a a a video i was watching like listening and watching to Jim Jones and it was it was really interesting. But I mean, some of the things he said were like, I mean, he's like freakily off. But we're not talking about people who would have bought into that. We're talking about people who generally, yes, believe and generally, yes, understand. And yet there's no kind of, there's no traction. They got the tires in the car, but the tires are bald. Yeah, so I think not only is it a question of the, how much that um, belief system has kind of gotten a hold of you, and the experiences that we have, and how real they are to us. Ah, uh, you know what? I'm 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 grasping at a point here that I had, and it's just evading me.
0: Go back. What what did you what did you say just before that, John? Just before I started, I was raising the point of why is it that why is it that Christians have to be manipulated and moved into action if God is not in their hearts? If, if it's backwards, shouldn't, shouldn't yes. these things be, couldn't these things be emanating from people if they were in a love relationship with God, where they would just naturally do these things versus, I, I mean, the example that comes to mind is, is just just a, a, a marriage relationship. So, yeah, I, I can be motivated into action because my wife's really mad at me or something, mm-hmm. or if I don't do something, she's going to be really mad, or I think she be, might be mad, or I can do something for her because I actually love her, mm-hmm. like which is a better place to be coming from. Mm-hmm. And it feels to me like with all of this radical hype books and stuff, it's just trying to get people to jump through the hoops because they should, not because they really want to. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think where I was going was, um, you know, that the point that I made earlier about this continuum between believing or not is kind of like a binary thing. The content of that belief. And then the purchase, the way, you know, like, uh, are your tires, do they have traction? Can you use them to navigate the purchase does it does does the things that you the content of the belief that you have does it actually make a difference for you in your daily life and and i guess the the part that i would say the part that i think is is a problem for most of the people that we're looking at and and that these books are trying to motivate is that there is no purchase purchase being what purchase being yeah i believe that jesus is the son of god and i believe these other things but you know what and I believe that like people need to know this, but I couldn't care less. Or maybe they wouldn't say I couldn't care less. They might say, you know, this is a real drag or this feels really awkward or this doesn't – like all this. Uh, I need somebody to kind of whip me into a frenzy here. And whip maybe is more – you know, I need somebody to kind of
0: make me feel guilty. Well, or give some rules. So like right above the, the paragraph on uh, what all the modifiers genuinely, truly, really – so above that it says – Still, to join Platt and his church on their journey away from the American dream toward a quote radical faith in a radical Jesus, end quote, Platt gives two preconditions. We must commit to believe whatever Jesus says and commit to obey what we have heard. To which I wrote, And what exactly does it mean to commit? <laughs> and who decides when and who decides when when it's enough? Whether your commitment is like 50%, 60%, 100%? Mm-hmm. And then I also wrote here, and what if we hear different things? Like who is right?
1: Ah, yes. Yeah.
0: So, but it, y- y- I guess where I heard you going was, I think sometimes people would prefer to just kind of hear, you know, here are the three things that you must do or it must look exactly like this because then they know exactly what they need to do.
1: Well, yeah, because that that, that content or how that content has been, has come to them is not inspiring them, right? It is, the, whatever it is about that content, it's, it's, it's sitting in their heads. It's not like you said, in their hearts. So whatever experience, and I'll come back to experience, they've had of that content, whatever way that they've gathered that up and that has been somehow, you know, I, I want to say fleshed out, but I don't necessarily mean fleshed out. I mean, whatever way, however much of it they've got in whatever way, is going to affect the type of purchase that it has on them. So for me, for my own personal experience, you know, I have events that have been completely like shocking, uh, life altering, and they're just, they're just, they're just with me. Like I can access them all the time. My issue isn't belief, yes or no, belief content. What is it? Belief purchase. How much is it? My issue is trust. I literally, when I look at it, i my my issue is trusting I've got all those things together, and I think this whole idea again I'll go back to like jerry bridges whom i'm i've I'm kind of interested in uh reading trusting god i i I think that that notion of trusting God is something that only really applies, and you know when you read that art that paragraph there, commit to obey what we've heard, commit to believe whatever jesus says like those those are very strange ideas to me, anyways. You know, committing to believe something. I don't know. You can do that. Can you commit to believing, or can you just believe? And if you're going to obey, just why obey. are you going to obey? Yeah, why do you
0: have to? Not just why do you have to commit to to obey, but what does it even mean? Like, I don't get it. Well, it's, I think I I take this as kind of this blind, this blind simple trust. And that's the kind of the radical nature of it, that, you know, commit to whatever Jesus says. Well, Jesus says to do some pretty scary stuff if you just pull some random verses out of context. Mm -hmm. And then to commit, to obey, which basically means take, I, I interpret that as take action. So you read this really crazy thing. It sounds scary. So that makes it radical. And now you have to commit to do it. And then if you do it, this is somewhere else, then you get Mm -hmm. the big payoff, which struck me as a little weird, too. Yeah, you see, this whole, like, quid pro quo that if you do this, if you're radical for, if you do this and you're radical or sacrificial, then God will act in mighty ways. Like, something just seems weird there.
1: I think it's backwards. I think you've got I think and you know your comment there about trust a simple trust the simple blind trust was really really interesting because I think that what what we need like what has to happen there and I don't think this is a completely linear process but you know this idea of believing at all I think comes before most of these other pieces I think there there's interweaving here but you know believing generally precedes say you know well what are you believing right the content of that and then the purchase definitely follows after that content i've got some content i know who god's supposed to be well so so what does it mean to you what what kind of purchase does that content have on your life well i don't know what what do you mean well somebody asked me that question i'm like okay you're answering my question already it doesn't mean much to you which isn't a judgment it's just like if you don't if you don't have a sense of what what that content means to you like if somebody says to you what does it mean that god loves you well i can tell you one of the things it means is that i wake up at night and i think about um, some of the things that i am inspired to do because i feel so utterly gifted so accepted so known so loved so cherished and and, and i want to i want exp- I, you know I, I i feel like this 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 friend that i had who said, you know, she just had a baby, and she said, I had to start going to church. She said, I feel so thankful. I had to be in a place where people are thankful and they can sing, and I could just sing. I didn't believe anything there, but, you know, I could be there and sing, and I wasn't weird. That's how I feel. So, that's what it means to me, you know, which is itself, I think, kind of weird. You know, not that I'm going to change it or I, whatever, but so... You know, you need to have some of that purchase. But th- this whole piece about trust, too, I think part of what we're looking for is an informed trust, not a blind trust, not a simple trust, because that's throwing things out of order. If you have purchased that belief, and then the question is, all right, you know, you believe these things, and, and they make a – it means something really radical to you. Something not, not radical in this sense, but something tangible, something that, that grips you in that sense of being radical. Something that makes you be aware of it at various different times. And yet, you know, when tough situations arise, do you, do you trust the, the relationship that, um, is making such a difference in your life and that, you know, at various other times has such an impact? And I think that's part of the, the idea. We're looking for an informed trust that comes out of this, not some sort of simple trust. If there's simple blind trust, then I think we've missed a step in here. And we get all out of whack, and that's where we get this other thing out of whack of listen, if you act radically, you're going to get a radical payoff no the, the reality is the only reason you've got this purchase this these beliefs actually mean something to you is because you've already got that payoff because otherwise what what are they why do they mean what they mean to you? You hear what I'm saying
0: i think
1: well it, it, if the purchase is like if You talked to me on Friday and I finally got to someplace in the article and something started to click for me. I was like, this article represents for me the other side of the coin. The one side is the, is, is the side that, um, Kyle Eidelman's not a fan represents. And really for me, that represents a fairly popular Christianity with some popular notions. This is a, this is an article written by a guy who is a scholar or an aspiring scholar. And this represents for me some of the viewpoints that I experienced at during my graduate work. And both of these viewpoints, Kyle Eidelman's and Matthew Lee Anderson's, represent for me something that I, I disagree with. And I'm looking towards where am I focused? What am I really about? And they help me bring that out. And so I got traction on this because I could see by bringing this together with what we've been talking about with Eidelman, I was finally going to be able in a really cool way to lay hold of what I was trying to say instead of just making these little pieces parts because they represented the two sides of what I've been struggling against, both the sort of popular Christianity of my past and this kind of more academic approach that's still missing something. And so I am eager to do this because there's this, there's this imminent payoff right here and
0: now. It's not like, Oh yeah. You know, if you work through this, you might be, I don't know if I'm being clear or not, but no, what I hear you saying is, I think what you're saying is you, you feel like you have kind of a third option that you're still kind of, well, in other words, you're not on board with Kyle Edelman. You're not totally on board with Anderson, but in kind of looking at their two views, it's kind of helped you to see what, You kind of already explored it in your graduate work? What I explored in my graduate work
1: and what I found really difficult to really crystallize in a very clear way that anybody walking away would say, okay, I get that. Mm. I hear what you're saying. And for it also to be comprehensive enough for somebody to say, okay, well, this, yeah, you have really kind of addressed what this type of Christianity is. You haven't just addressed this point or that point you've really kind of laid out what your view of Christianity is without it being super complex and without it missing a whole lot of pieces. The, the point I was trying to make about belief purchase, I guess purchase the idea that, that that it it grabs a hold of you. And I think that in grabbing a hold of you, there is no way that those beliefs can grab a hold of you if you do not have a an embodied experiential sense of God's love. I just, and you know, it might not be love per se. It might be, you might say mercy, or you might say forgiveness, or you might say acceptance, or you might say compassion. But I think what so often happens in um, North American evangelicalism is it's all about truth. It's all about biblical truth. And, you know, I think those things are important. I think it's perhaps essential Probably essential, you know. But I think that if we don't have that sense of not only this is really important, but being gripped by it, almost being embraced by literally by God, you know, I think that we're in a situation where we're constantly going to have to force ourselves.
0: Oh, yeah, that's so well said. Because I think that's exactly where I'm at. And I think that's why this kind of stuff drives me so crazy. Well, these people are proposing a solution to you that you know doesn't work. Well, yes and no. Like, what, what struck me what you're saying is the whole notion of being embodied by God. Mm. I, don't, I don't feel or experience that on a regular basis. I would like to. And I've somewhere decided or concluded or someone told me or I read somewhere that Mm-mm. this radical stuff was the way to get there. Mm-hmm. So that if you do the radical stuff, if you commit to believe what Jesus says and commit to obey what you've heard, then God will really embody you. Now, have I ever like fully committed and ever fully obeyed what I heard? Probably not. Am I willing to? Frankly, not really. Because there's just something wacky and does not make sense to me about it. And just... I don't know. Maybe we just lost all our listeners right there. But I just there's some part of that that just I could just never get on board with. And I don't I don't know that it does make
1: sense to fully commit to something that you don't understand or you don't see how it's going to work out or you don't have enough. And the word enough here is tricky. Enough
0: evidence to say yeah. I've got a good basis for going forward with this. And I've always felt like that was my fault. I've always felt like it was my fault for not having enough belief or being too skeptical or carrying too much baggage around. But the place that I've I've gotten to in recent years is, you know what? I'm going to, at least where I am kind of today, is I'm waiting and looking for the time when God will embody me. And once and when that happens, then I can see myself maybe doing some of these other things. But the criticism that I get from others is, well, you need to keep trying. You're not trying hard enough. In other words, if you stop trying, you know, a.k.a. don't go to church anymore, um, you know, you can only go one direction. You know, you're either sliding backwards or moving forward. So if you're not moving forward by going to church, you're probably sliding backwards into sin and who knows you know and what is that doing to your family and all this other stuff but I've kind of had to just say to kind of throw that out the window and just say okay no I am where I'm at and yeah so where I'm currently focused is is, yeah how can I see and experience God's love in my life Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and I haven't quite gotten there yet but it seems to me to be the right path
1: well, I think so. I I think that, you know, when you try to put it say it's down to you that you're not trying hard enough. I think that again is a it's a misunderstanding. You know, I think that's a a wrong way of looking at it. In other words, for me, I do have I do believe I do have a content that I've spent a lot of years working through both, you know, at graduate school, at theological graduate school and on my own after that and before that. And with people who are, you know, w- well trained, you know, uh, who, who, who've, who've done the same themselves and who have been teachers to me. And, and this content has a lot of purchase in my life. And when I would say for me, when I do not apply the informed trust I have, that is down to me. I am now at a position it, with relative to God where I have absolutely, I don't know how to say this. Is this going to sound, it's going to sound like something I don't want to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. I don't have any doubts that God is, that God is there, that God loves me. And that all that is real. And when I don't act, when I don't trust God, that is down to me. That is my mistake. And it's a mistake for me personally, because I've got all of that. You know, for somebody to, I don't know, you just you just talk to them for 15 minutes and they've never heard about Christianity and you ask them to trust God, is it a mistake for them not to? No, I think it'd be a mistake to do it. I think you're jumping out into something you don't understand without enough information. You wouldn't buy a car like that. You wouldn't commit to a business relationship like that. Why on earth would you give your whole life over to something like that? Because it, it, you don't want to go
0: to hell. Well I'm thinking of I'm thinking of like my my conversion experience at four or five years old, which was here's the story about Jesus dying on the cross and here's why he died on the cross and do you want to accept him into your heart so that you can go to heaven? Yes, of course yeah. Like why would I say no? I'm not wanting to disparage that experience. At the same time I'm asking myself even for my own son. I'm not taking that approach with him. Well, I'm not taking that approach with him because I'm just like, how can I put all this stuff on him if I'm not even sure where I stand on all of it? Very true. So I'm yeah. not sure where I was going with all that.
1: Well, you know, it's it's interesting because Kyle is a little bit more, he did, he hasn't made the the comment here that, again, coming back to Platt, right, where um, yeah, he, Matthew Lee Anderson writes, last year Platt made waves by calling the sinner's prayer superstitious. And uh, he talks about Platt talks about lying in bed and not being sure whether he's really saved and thinking, oh, I got to pray the prayer again. I'm just going to really mean it. I mean, this, this for me, but, but Platt's, Platt's uh, solution here doesn't work, right? He's quoting Platt. It's, it's, this is Anderson quoting Platt. I don't want people to look to a prayer they prayed for assurance of salvation. I want them to look to Christ for this. Assurance of salvation is based on his work and not ours.
0: Sounds great theologically.
1: What does that look like?
0: What does that mean? <laughs> oh. Zero. I give that zero meaning. No, the you know, whole the whole we need to look to Christ, I mean, that's like Christian jargon if there ever was any. Like, what does that mean?
1: Well, it either means that, hey, pray the prayer and your feelings don't matter. Don't think about your feelings. Don't Don't kind of work with that. But then again, you see, this is so contradictory because he's saying on the one hand, the only thing I can make sense of what he's saying is, don't, don't look at this. It's again, it's like Jerry Bridges. Don't look through the eyes of sense. Don't look through your feelings. Look through the eyes of faith, right? Rely on Christ, which means kind of go back to the Bible. It says it's going to be, you're okay. You're taken care of. Then, Hey, man, you're okay. You're taken care of. But on the turn <laughs> off know, half guy, of your brain. Well, yeah, yeah, but then through the book or, or turn off your emotions on the matter. And then through the books, though, they're trying to whip up these emotions. They're trying to encourage, I don't know, the use of the will through,
0: what? Through guilt? Through these other kind of, through of prods? Through commandments? Through prods? Yeah. Clearly, Jesus clearly says in the scripture that you must do this. And if and, you don't do it, you're sinning.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think that, that what we've got there is we've got this really basic, basic, we've got two basic misunderstandings. One is the notion of love being commanded. And I think that the, I have, I have, I have yet to see a Christian book where a Christian has said, you know, this is completely ridiculous it's completely contradictory love is a free gift freely given no but it's it's the greatest commandment and they have not worked through what that could possibly mean given that it cannot be a commandment in a in the in the typical sense in the command like like you command you know you will drive 50 in this zone or you'll get a ticket if there's a cop here so okay that's a commandment i got to work with that or i'm going to get my butt kicked and we we have not worked that one out on the one hand. Um oh and this thought just left me. Where were we again? We were
0: talking through the sinner's prayer, assurance of salvation. Um You were talking about the the need to kind of whip people up and to motivate them. That love cannot be commanded, and then I derail this by saying yes, but isn't it the greatest commandment?
1: Well, no, that, that that was really good because uh, yeah, we've got a uh, but oh yeah, well that's the a topic for another time probably. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it definitely to expand on the uh, but but the other part, I think we've mistold the story. We've got the wrong emphasis on the story, so it's you know this is this is crazy. This this is I find this so maddening, so infuriating. You look back to the Westminster Confession, the larger Catechism. Number one, the the you know what's the uh, the purpose, the highest end of human? They say of man. The highest end of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. No, no, you're super clear. The scripture could not be clearer. If it could be clearer, I just don't understand it. This is like, and the, the verses they quote in support of that later on, I'm like, what? You're pulling out of Romans, out of the Psalms? Why don't you take a look at the Gospels and, and just look at what Jesus says, you know, the number one priority is. And if you don't, if you're not lining up with that, there's a problem. You've made a mistake. And I think when we tell this story and we make Christianity about reward and punishment, about heaven or hell, we have made a mistake. That is not what Jesus, that is, that is, that is, that is, there's, there's something of the Christian message in that. I'm not saying that's imported and it's whole scale fabrication, but it is a miss. We have misapplied, we have misunderstood, and we have misprioritized. And when we do that, <clears throat> we're going to have bad results. So I, th- I think what we should be telling people, and I think what Christian communities should look like, are places where we have people who are in love with God, and out of that, you know, the, the the truth that God truly is sovereign, and that God truly is parent, and that we have a choice in the matter. And yet, part of what it is for us to be human beings is to desire to be loved, to be in love relationships that are right and true, and that we find the most perfect and most beautiful consummation of that essential need in a true loving relationship with God, where God knows me more deeply than, more truly than I know myself, where God loves me more deeply than I love myself. And, you know, where I would go later on, and the thing that I really found upsetting about this article is when matthew lee anderson at the end talks about the formation of culture and he talks about you know we want to form a christian christianity is about forming a culture and uh, that culture involves uh, liturgy worship artistic creations intellectual endeavors i agree with what that what comes out of that culture but really what we have and what we need is a culture of love and of truth that comes out of people experiencing god in this way and where do the artistic creations come from the intellectual inspirations the economic social political outworkings they come from people who have been deeply deeply touched whose lives have been changed why because they've fallen in love with god and that is a true thing that god is really there and that god truly loves us as god claims to you know i don't think the the gospel creates or how does he how does he frame it i'll just We can come back to this later, but the gospel is supposed to create a culture. I put, no, the gospel is an invitation to participate into the coming into being of a kingdom. And part of our response, personal and corporate, are artistic, intellectual, social, and political creations that are, well, that are demonstrations of what it means to us to be in right relationship with God and thereby to be in right relationship with ourselves, our fellows, and our world. This meaning comes communally, but also into a certain minimum degree, it must come personally because love is always, at very least, personal. And that's where I would go. That's where I do go. I think that's what's missing. That's what I find to be so, so frustrating. Because on the one hand, in this popular political, pardon me, popular sort of um, personal thing that Idleman and Platten, and these guys are trying to create, um, it's about getting us whipping us up through efforts of the will to really trust and really obey. And what what uh, Matthew Lee Anderson, he, he wrote a little bit later on, uh, after that part that I, I read, he said, but the gospel is supposed to create a culture. And a few sentences later, he says, the institutions and practices, art, literature, theology, liturgy, festivals, that can transmit such an inheritance to the next generation and to form belief in deeper and more permanent ways. In other words, he's saying that that culture is what creates belief. No, that culture is what comes out of belief. It helps create it, yes, but there's still going to be graffiti on the most beautiful churches and the most beautiful buildings if you don't find people who have feel that they belong and have ownership. And they have that when it comes to Christianity because they have a vibrant and real relationship with a God who truly knows them and deeply loves them. And that's where the purchase comes from in that belief, out of which they're able to They want to do these things. It's like it's like me saying, "Hey, you know what? I'm waking up at night and I'm thinking about talking to people about about my beliefs and about the fact that my life has been changed because this is so significant and so meaningful to me." And I think that's the way it should go.
0: Well, the spooky music means only one thing: this episode's over but another one's on the way. Thanks for listening to Untangling Christianity. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so leave a comment at our website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 40. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email, Send those to feedback at UntanglingChristianity.com. And if you're looking for just one more way to give feedback on the podcast, we're running a survey. slash survey. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at Incopatech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thank him for his generosity by supporting him at his website. Tune in next week for a new episode.